Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, I, uh, I went to high school in Raleigh and uh, I went to a school that was in the downtown area and had been there for almost uh, like a hundred years now. And I'm gonna generalize a lot here, but there were really like two types of kids who went to my school. There were those who lived inside the Beltline and those who lived outside the Beltline. Now that's a Raleigh thing. The Beltline is a loop that goes around the city. And if, if, if you lived inside the Beltline, you were much more likely to have, again, I'm generalizing, but to have a big house and be a member of a country club and all that stuff. If you lived outside the Beltline, you, you were much more likely to, uh, to well not have those things. And I grew up outside the Beltline in, a, in an upper middle class family. And, and even though I had, I had overall a good experience in high school and my family was great and I'm grateful for everything my parents did for me, there were plenty of times where you felt that invisible barrier between the inside the Beltline kids and the outside the Beltline kids. And it sounds kind of dumb, but it felt really real. Whether uh, it was like parties you didn't get invited to or friend groups that you didn't get brought into, it, it was a real thing as a high school kid. And there were days, especially early on, like my freshman year there, where I felt like a total outsider. Now. Um, look, it wasn't bad for me at all, and a lot of you have been in worse situations than that, but you know that feeling, right, of being on the outside and looking in, of, of really not being invited in, not sure I wanted to be invited in, but kind of bothered that no one seemed to be able to even see me. Those situations make you feel something, don't they? I remember feeling on some of those days like I was invisible. You, you walk around thinking, can, can anybody see me? Y'all know I'm here, right? And for a kid like me who at that time was somewhat insecure, that was tough. Maybe you've been in a school like that or a neighborhood like that or maybe a job or a team or maybe just life has you feeling like that or, or maybe church has been like that for you. The church can actually be like that. It can, it can become like that for people and it's the, well, the worst thing in the world. But for some of you, at some point in your past, it's possible that you felt that way, where, where you are on the outside and everybody else seems to be on the inside. That can definitely be what it feels like like when you're, when you're visiting a church or starting to attend somewhere, all these people seem to know each other and I don't, and even worse than that, People on the inside, without even knowing it, can perpetuate that, like, like we can without even realizing it, make it difficult for people who are turning to the church. We can make it difficult for people who are turning to God without even realizing it. This series we're in is called Fanning the Flame because we're about to talk about what it means to be the church and how the early church went from a spark to a wildfire that spread all over the world and that, that this church, Love Lake Norman, it's called to have that same fire. Jesus working through the body to impact the world around us, but, but nothing can quench a flame quite like that attitude of us versus them. That attitude of we got it all figured out on the inside and that attitude of judgment towards the outsiders. 
But the tendency of every organization, every organization of people, school, club, nonprofit, and church, doesn't even matter, is for those on the inside to start to, to let that feeling of we've got it together and y'all don't, to let that creep in. Guys, we, we have to guard against this. We have to be careful. And what helps us most is this. We have to become compassionate. Our, our compassion has to rise above our judgment because, because this isn't just a like, church leadership issue or what somebody else in the church needs to deal with. This is about us and our attitudes and feelings towards people who aren't here yet, who are maybe outside the faith, who are maybe even living in ways you might not agree with and they're doing things you don't think you would necessarily do. You know, like the people that Jesus came to reach, the people that Jesus hung out with, the people that he was laser focused on when he was here, you know, those people. If you're wondering today how this is relevant to your own spiritual life, to your own growth, here's how. What we're doing today is answering this question that you need to answer. I think you want to answer this question, and it's this. How can I become a more loving person? And I suspect this about you, that, that this is hard for you because it's true of me. It's hard for me too. I need all the help here I can get to be a more loving person. This was an issue in the early church too, this insider versus outsider thing, and, and, and they worked through it. In fact, here's how Luke in the book of Acts records it in chapter 15. And, and, and this is where we're going to camp out for today uh, in the Bible. He says it like this. He says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, for obvious reasons, you can understand why there would be some protest to this teaching that grown men had to be circumcised. And beyond the physical ramifications of being circumcised as an adult, what they were saying wasn't just a physical thing. It was a theological thing. It was a theological issue. You see, Paul and Barnabas and Peter and others were, were preaching this message that Jesus had risen from the dead and they had started with the Jews preaching the message to them, but the message had gone out to the Gentiles, everybody who wasn't a Jew. It had gone out to them as well. And here's the thing. They were responding to the gospel. They were responding to it. They were coming to faith. They were trusting Christ with their salvation in their lives. These Gentiles, these non-Jews, these early church leaders were witnessing miracle after miracle of, of someone who really didn't know anything about God, hearing the gospel and putting their trust in Christ. And, and, and they were like, okay, now what do we do? We have Jews who are following Jesus here. We have Gentiles who are following Jesus here. And so some leaders came along and they said, hey, since we were Jews first and now we're following Christ, these new converts who are Gentiles, they need to follow our Jewish traditions first and then they can follow Christ too. And you can start to see why this was a huge discussion with enormous ramifications for the early church. Do Gentiles have to follow Jewish law or can they simply confess the name of Jesus and become a part of the church? Can they just do that and move from an outsider to an insider just like that? Here's where the question led the early church leaders. Here's what Luke says. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, 
they told how they, the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they stood up and they said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. So they debate and they debate and they debate and they debate some more. It's a tough question and there are believers on both sides. Something has to give. And so Peter stands up. Peter, who had gone from an uneducated, rough, undisciplined fisherman to one of Jesus' best friends and closest followers to an incredible evangelist and leader in the early church. He's like, I have got to tell you my story. I need to tell you what I have seen out there. Here's what he says. After much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them. Here's what he says. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Not we, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. Peter's amazing at cutting right to the heart of the issue. He says, why are you trying to put a burden on the Gentiles that, that not even us Jews have been able to bear? He's saying, you know as well as I do that, that we can't even keep the law ourselves. Why would we make the Gentiles try to do what we have tried and failed to do? And then he gets to the heart. The way that these Gentiles have come to know Christ, that's the same way we did. Not by following all the rules to the letter of the law like we were, like we were taught. We all failed at that and every human fails at that. Jesus came to provide a better way. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, he said, just as they are. And then Paul and Barnabas, they speak up and they began to share some things about all the stuff that God has done through them for the Gentiles. And what they're saying is, is that the Holy Spirit has shown up for the Gentiles too. And that means something. And they finally finish and one more person speaks up, James who's now the elder statesman of this group, the default leader of this first church, James, the brother of Jesus who grew up alongside him. And then when Jesus began his ministry, he doubted him along with his own family. And then James who came face to face with Jesus after his resurrection, where he looked his brother in the eye and called him not only brother, but Lord and savior. James had seen it all. And if anyone had room for doubt, it would be him. I mean, like, my brother, everybody thinks he's great, but I know the truth, right? Like I've seen him at his worst. Now James, who has every reason to walk away, becomes the leader of the early church. And he's been listening to this debate quietly, all, to the, all these arguments, arguments about why we should keep some of, these, some of these people, these new Christians at a distance. And finally he stands up and here's what he says. When, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles 
And, and then he goes on to quote uh, an Old Testament prophet named Amos, who said that God is restoring mankind to him, even all the Gentiles. And what James is saying is this, Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus came for everybody. And then he says these amazing words. And before I even read them, I, I want you to think about a time where you felt like an outsider to a group of people, a time where you've felt like you didn't belong. Maybe you feel that now with your friends or at your school or in your neighborhood or just in life. You might've felt that way with the church. That may be the way it is in other places, but it isn't how it's going to be here. James says, there are people who aren't from our tradition, they speak different languages, they look different, they act different, they do things that you may not even like and you may not even approve of, but this is not about behavior modification. Jesus didn't come so that we could go from bad to good or good to great. He came so we could move from death to life. Jesus is for everyone. And here's what James says. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's don't make it difficult for people who are turning to God. Why should we make it hard? You know, it's human nature that when we get into the inside of something, like on the inside of a group, there's something in us that wants to make it harder for new people to join in. But like Peter said, this is about grace. It's not about what you do. This isn't about earning anything. This is about hungry people finding food. This is about thirsty people finding a fountain to drink from. James is saying this, guys, we have to tell people, we have to invite as many people as possible. That's what Jesus was doing when he was here. That's what he was doing when he was here. And that's what he's doing now through us. And we can't let these small disagreements keep this flame from becoming a fire. This is why we began Love Lake Norman. We began meeting as a small group of people in 2016 with a, a lot of issues and problems and, and hurdles because we're human and we bring those with us wherever we go, right? But also with a burning desire to not make it difficult for people who are turning, from, turning to God because churches do make it difficult with our traditions and our rules and our unspoken requirements sometimes. So we launched Love Lake Norman in April of 2017 with 100 people and the goal that we would be a place where people could belong before they believed, where people could, uh, on the outside, would feel welcomed and accepted and then challenged not to follow customs and traditions that we made up, but to be challenged by the words of Jesus himself. We're trying to do everything we can to pull away the distracting things that churches sometimes do and to get at the heart of it, which is that Jesus died for you and for me. He's inviting you to go from life without him, which is death, into life with him, which leads to everything you really want anyway. And we get to do this together in this thing called the church. The mission is clear, to help people find and follow Jesus. And, and the how of that mission, how do we do that? Well, well, we'll be spending the rest of our days doing that, trying different things, adopting strategies and then, strategies and then changing them for new ones that work better and, and on and on and on because we want to be an effective church that sees lots of people come to know Jesus. We want to be a church on fire, just like the church in the book of Acts. But in order to do that, it's going to take you and me doing a couple of things because this isn't just a, a, a church thing. It's a you and me thing. First is this. I'm going to give you this word, invest. 
Invest in people around you. We talk about this around our church. Dig in relationally with people, even in the hard stuff. Love people around you and and love them well and pray for them. Be real, be authentic. Have people over for dinner. Invite them into your messy life and let them see what it looks like for a real person to try to follow Jesus. Be okay with not being perfect. And then when you invest, let me give you the second word. It's invite. When you have an opportunity, invite somebody to church. Invite somebody in to be on the inside, to move from the outside in. How could you not, really? Like, we can't hold all the good news to ourselves, can we? We don't want to be people on the inside who look with judgment at the outsiders and think to ourselves, I'm glad I'm not like those guys. No, we are going to do everything we can to invite outsiders to faith to not make it difficult for people who were trying to follow God. I heard a story once by a guy named Thomas Weddle, and I want to close with this story today. And the story goes like this. uh, On a dangerous sea coast where there were shipwrecks happening all the time, there was once a little life-saving station. That that building was was really rough. It was primitive, and there was just one boat, but the members of the life-saving station were committed, and they kept a constant watch out over the sea, and when a, when a ship would go down, they unselfishly would go out day or night to save the lost. But because so many lives were saved by that station, it became famous. And because of that, a lot of people wanted to be associated with that station to give their time and their talent and their money to support its important work. New boats were bought, new crews were recruited a formal training session was, was offered, and as the membership in the life-saving station grew, some of the members became unhappy that the building was, was so rough-looking and that equipment was so outdated, and, and they wanted a better place to welcome the survivors pulled from the sea. And so they replaced the emergency cots that they had with beds, and they put better furniture in, in the enlarged and newly decorated building. And And now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They met regularly, and when they did, it was apparent uh, how they loved one another. They greeted each other. They hugged one another. They shared with each other uh, about the events that had been going on in their lives. But fewer members were now interested in going out to sea on life-saving missions. And so they hired lifeboat crews to do that for them. And about that time... A large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in the life-saving station boatloads of cold, wet, dirty, sick, and half-drowned people. And they had different skin colors. Some of them could speak English well. Some of them could hardly speak it at all. Some were first-class cabin passengers on that ship, and others were the deckhands. The beautiful meeting place that they had uh, built became a place of chaos. The plush carpets got dirty. Some of the furniture, it even got scratched up. And so the, the, the property committee immediately had a shower built on the outside of the house where the victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a divide in the membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they weren't very pleasant and they were kind of a hindrance to the normal fellowship of the members. Other people, other members insisted that the life-saving part was the primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station, but they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all those various kinds of people who would be shipwrecked, 
they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And you know what happened? That's what they did. As the years passed, the new station, well, it experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old one. It evolved into a place to meet for fellowship and for committee meetings and for special training sessions about their mission, but few went out to the drowning people. The drowning people were no longer welcomed in that new life-saving station, so another life-saving station was founded further down the coast. And history continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that seacoast today, you'll find a number of adequate meeting places with ample parking and plush carpeting. And shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. This story by Thomas Weddle, like there's a prayer that makes me want to pray for us today. I want to invite you to pray it too. Lord, make me compassionate. Make me compassionate, God. Make me compassionate for the outsider, for the person who is different from me, who may not believe what I believe, who is hard to love sometimes. Make me compassionate to that person. Make me compassionate as a church. Make us compassionate as a church so that we will do whatever it takes to reach people who are far away from you, God. Would you pray that with me now? God, make us compassionate. Help me to be compassionate to people around me who are uh, quite possibly on the outside when it comes to you and looking in and need an invitation and they need me to care. God, would you help us to be compassionate as a church? Help us to grow in our level of care for our community. Help us to grow in our level of of, uh, risk-taking to reach people who are far from you, who are lost, who are shipwrecked, who are alone, and who are struggling. God, help us to be a church who invites everybody in to follow you. Make us compassionate, we pray. In your holy name, amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.